this week on Dig Me Out. Jason Zia and Tim Manici. Jay, this week it, it took us a little bit of time to figure out what we were going to review. We had some bumps in the road, but we finally, thanks to our Patreon subscribers, settled on Save Ferris. It, w- it was a long journey to get here, though. You want to hear the journey, Jay? Yeah, I can play it out. So originally we put up a vote for the first... Um, review of September that uh, we like to do on our Patreon page of four albums. We said, here's four albums released September 1997. They were Apples in Stereo, Tone Soul Evolution, Helium's The Magic City, Save Ferris, It Means Everything, and Stereo Labs Dot and Loops. Jay, we what we did was we had a tie. We actually had a tie on the first vote, so we took it to a tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. Anyone rock, know what happened? Rock, rock paper scissors. Yeah, no, we did it. Two did rocks. A, we did a twenty-four hour vote off, and what happened was we had a tie again. So <laughs> the last time we had a tie, we just flipped a coin, but we were like, no, we don't want to flip a coin. We want to do it. We'll do a runoff election here. Oh God! And it didn't work. So democracy. We went right back to the coin flip. See, this is why democracies are flawed. Yeah. This is why the Night King should just, he should have the throne. <laughs> what? That's a leap different, of uh, logic there, different, Jay. Different, different podcast. Yeah, let's let's stick to, that's for our other podcast. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what it's called. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make up a name for that in the future. So we're doing Save Ferris, their 1997 album, It Means Everything. It's actually their debut album. They released an EP prior to that. Now, Jay, had you listened to any Save Ferris prob- prior to this? Um, I knew Come On Eileen. I knew the cover. The cover that, that was a point. single. Yep. Was that in a movie or something? Or Well, the band was in a movie. They were in 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh. There were a lot of bands in the 90s that played the like prom or dance uh, band in a pivotal scene. I believe that um, like Mighty Mighty Boss did that. And I think the Offspring and a couple other bands in, in t- 90s teen movies showed up in the movies and, uh, you know, rocked out. So hmm. I think White Zombie is in a movie. Uh, I'm trying to remember which one that is. Maybe this is a round table. Yeah, that is, that should be a round table. Mo- write it down. Band appearances in movies. Uh, like you, I'd only heard the, the Come, I, Come On Eileen cover. Uh, I had not listened to the rest of the record. So we did get feedback on um, this album from our Patreon subscribers. Tara McCook said, I will never apologize for my unironic love of that that save Ferris record. My friends and I all went through our ska phase in '97. There were at least five bands formed in our clique <laughs> that year, uh, including two Christian ones because Alabama. Monique Powell was one of my heroes. That's the lead singer. Um, it was a fun as hell record, and I'm sure it'll be a great one to review. Other folks did not vote for Save Ferris, so I don't know where the votes came from. But well, Scott. I think Wit said nobody wants apples in stereo, which was not true. It got enough votes to tie. 
Keith Sawyer said this is a fine group of releases. I'll take any of the four, but voted for Apples and Stereo. Steven said Apples and Stereo and Stereo Lab are the two names I am been aware of for some time now, but have not spent any time with. And he put both those on and went with uh, Apples and Stereo. And then uh, Jim, which I did not get the proper pronunciation of your last name, so I'm just saying Jim. Uh, torn between Helium and Stereo Lab, but got to go with the truly underrated indie rock band fronted by the fantastic female singer-songwriter. That would be Helium. Again, uh, not much feedback on Say Ferris, yet it somehow managed to come out ahead. Um, See, I mean, it was just like the election. Yeah. Well, the polling, The polling indicated. Yeah, the polling did indicate that. A landslide, and next thing you know, what? Exactly. Where did this come from? So, do we have uh, our is our Patreon uh, page being targeted by Russian bots? It might, it might be. There are a lot of people who have a name and then like eight digits after their name, <laughs> eight random numbers, and no followers. So, yeah, and no followers. So it's entirely possible, or they all just follow each other. Uh, <laughs> if you want to join us for our next poll, which will probably be in October. Uh, uh, that would be at patreon.com forward slash dig me out to uh, join the poll. So, Jay, a little quick info on Save Ferris. It's interesting. Could you read their history? And I'll get to it. But you could you could swap their history with, like, Dawkins' history. And I'll explain why. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll explain why. So they start out with an EP. Didn't Dawkins start with an EP, Jay? Uh, no. No, rat. I'm sorry. Maybe rat. I'm thinking of rat. You're thinking of rat. I get those yes. two mixed up sometimes. <laughs> so so here's the interesting thing. They self-produced and released their debut EP called Introducing Safe Ferris. It sold 20,000 copies. Wow. Not bad for 1996 yeah. of an, an indie band doing it themselves. They ended up getting um, onto K-Rock and in like regular rotation and they were the first unsigned band to do so. So they ended up doing a showcase and signing to Epic. Next year, they re-record some songs. They, they record the cover and then write some new songs, record those, and they put out It Means Everything uh, in 1997. So they had a bunch of songs in different uh, TV shows and movies. The big hit with Mark Wahlberg that uh, features a Save Fair song from that album. Oh, TV- I, have the, I have that on DVD. There you go. Uh, the TV show Seventh Heaven, it featured a Save Ferris song. Uh, uh, I don't have that on DVD. Okay, I'm surprised. And then they were, of course, I mentioned uh, in 10 Things I Hate About You, the um, Julia Stiles Heath Ledger joint. Um, it ended up selling 400,000 copies and had three top 10 hits in Japan and Mexico with two singles in the Billboard Top 100 and um, eventually went platinum worldwide. This is when the lineup chain changes start. First with the drummer. It's always the drummer that leaves first, which sure. let's just acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, they released their follow-up album, Modified, on Epic in 1999. They started to move more into pop-punk tor- territory, out of ska-punk territory, which is not uncommon for bands in the 90s. Like No doubt dumped their horn section after Tragic Kingdom and came more of a I guess you'd say a pop punk band or just a pop band. More lineup changes in the 2000s. They end up going on hiatus in 2003. And from 2003 to 13, they were on hiatus. And then 
uh, Monique Powell, who was basically the person from start to finish in the band, reformed the band in 2013 with a show with a new backing band uh, in at the Pacific Amphitheater in Orange County, California, which is their, where they're from. And then they went into two years of legal mediation in which ex-members of the band sued Monique Powell, which she countersued um, over their website, savefarris.com, their Facebook page, and then also songwriting credits. She was not given songwriting credits to a number of their earlier albums, and she was awarded songwriting credit. So that's where I mentioned that the band was basically uh, infighting in, in court in the same way that a lot of 80s metal bands, especially like second tier, I guess you'd say, uh, metal bands. You don't see that in Def Leppard or Bon Jovi, but the... Uh, the Doc and crew don't get along so well. Let's put it that way. We're great white. This is true. Yeah. It's um, part and of the then, fun. Oh, yeah, definitely part of the fun. So they did a Pledge Music campaign in 2016 um, and then ended up releasing the Checkered Past EP in 2017, earlier this year. And um, currently on tour. They've done the U.S. Warp Tour again this summer. So... That's the uh, everybody in the band except for Monique Powell joined the band with the reformation in 2013. She's the only member from the original lineup, and they do they're doing the full horn section this time uh, instead of just the pop punk uh, stripped down version. Hmm. So it's a lot of checks, paychecks you got to cut. That is a lot of paychecks, but for, you know it, what's interesting. So for, as long as this band has been around, they've only done two full lengths, the ninety-seven and ninety-nine, and then two EPs, ninety-six and two thousand seventeen. You know, songs contributed to compilations and soundtracks and stuff like that, but uh, not a lot of actual recorded output from the band. So curious to see if there'll be more recording in the future. Uh, so let's get into "It Means Everything" by Say Ferris, Jay, Tim. You and I, I want to say, have not really dabbled into ska punk um, on the show. We we touched on punk and pop punk bands, and mm-hmm. we covered the swing revival last year, but which kind of slid a little bit into the ska punk discussion with some of the mm-hmm. bands that crossed over. But we've never really talked about a ska punk band. So, Jay, tell me one thing that you liked about It Means Everything. Well, I, I think I need to add a little bit more color. Okay. Not only have we not, I think, covered Sky yet, memory serves. I'm yes. getting old. Right. We've probably not been too anxious to cover Sky. At Correct. least I haven't. <laughs> um, so I am not a fan of this genre. I find the, the overall aesthetic to be very grating. So first listen, as I am getting into this, I my reaction was... Uh, fairly negative okay but as i spent more time with it the fact that this is these are for the most part majority of the songs are pretty solid pop songs Mm -hmm. um, and would work maybe better in my opinion uh without the ska heavy style on top of it i think they would hold up pretty well as just straightforward pop rock songs Mm mm-hmm so I started to gravitate to that the more I listened to it. Just in general, I find horns to be one of two things, either overbearing or unnecessary. Do you mean in the ska or just in general? Period. 
Like, so even like in R and B and soul, um, I'll say in a rock. I'll say in a rock contest. I don't listen to enough R and B and soul to be able to tell you if the horn okay. should be there or not. Well, what, but like, in a, what about, in a rock rock band context, I find them to be either be overbearing, like they're just way too in your face, and you can't d- actually appreciate the song, or like in the case of Aerosmith, they just don't need to be there. Like what about the Stones? Not necessary. Like on like you know in the beggar's banquet let it bleed exile main street era stones probably would be fine if they weren't there okay i mean you can do them in a way where it's less obnoxious like the way that rocket from the crypt uses them comes closer to an area of tolerance but even in those songs sometimes i would probably say they probably don't even need to be there um Hmm. so in, in general that's where i'm at with horns so as soon as i hear this record and it's like every song is starting with a horn melody in your face I have to get past that. But once I get past it and the verse starts and I'm drawn into the vocal, um, which is really strong and the pre-choruses on this record, I think are very, very strong. There's always a moment of you get like a very Scottish verse. Um, sometimes it's predictable. Sometimes the melody saves it. But then they get to these pre-choruses that really elevate and do something different and they're dramatic and lucky. Mm-hmm which I loved. I think it makes a lot of these songs work. The choruses aren't always there though. So those resolved is something that's yeah. kind of let down. But overall, I, I, I guess I'll say the one thing that I liked was as I got to spend time with it, I appreciated the, just the quality of the songwriting that was underneath all of this. And I would love to hear these in a more, straightforward kind of rock presentations just so you can appreciate the song even more. I, I'll say I actually have a similar journey. I I don't have as big an issue with horns. I think that's probably because this is going to be a weird starting point, but you know, <laughs> my first records are like the David Lee Roth EP with like his cover of like, I ain't got nobody um, just a gigolo and um and then also billy joel who had a lot Uh of saxophone and i so i kind of i feel like i kind of grew up with some cheesy horn stuff um and then (laughs) that and all those kenny g records that you have i know kenny g exactly and i i do listen to a lot of like 60s and 70s r&b and soul and funk stuff when i have the opportunity and you know, when I do something, when I want, usually it's because I've been listening to like a lot of stuff for the podcast and I just want to listen to something completely different. So I'll go and listen to like Otis Redding or, or I'll go in a different direction. I want to listen to like weird Brian Eno music or something like that. I just want to do some, I just want something, you know, completely opposite of what I'm listening to at the moment. But I like those Stones records like Rocks Off that have like the Memphis style horns on them and, and whatnot. So, but I did not enjoy this music at all. And I did not like no doubt in the nineties. Um, I did not like any of the Scott punk bands a- at all, but I think rocket from the crypt opened the doors a little bit for me. Cause I didn't really get them in the nineties. It wasn't until, um, your friend, Mr. Litfin put out that single and I kind of like reassessed the band at that point and started that's sort of around the time where I think I went back and listened to group sounds and then the self-titled album were the first two ones that I listened to. And I think now, cause I can, I appreciate what the horns can do that other instruments can't in terms of the, 
the way that they can play notes and hold things and bend notes the way that guitars and in, in a lot of ways can't in a lot of ways you know when you listen to certain guitar players they're just trying to emulate what horn sections are doing like a lot of what keith richards does is he's trying to play horn parts on his on, on guitar um you know that's what satisfaction is that satisfaction sounds like a horn part and it actually would be turned into a horn part by otis Redding years later when he when he, or i don't know if it was years later it might have been six months later but when he covered it that said i think i've become a little bit less um uh derogatory or or less um <laughs> derogatory not Jeez. derogatory I, I just i just always would turn off any ska punk stuff and then mm-hmm. the tide sort of started to turn like i mentioned with rocket from the crypt and then i went you know some of this early some of this early mighty mighty boston stuff isn't bad like it's it's got it's good energy and it's i didn't you know once you get into like the let's face it album which had the big single on it that everybody knows uh that's where it be, kind of became i don't know less interesting but the st- earlier stuff's real energetic and rowdy and I kind of like that aspect of that band. Now, I'm not I, I don't know that I would want to listen to it all the time in all, all these bands, but this band and this album the thing that I, I like about it is how compact and how tight all the songs are. I mean, there are all these songs are like 2 minutes long. I mean, there's maybe you know, or or just barely over 3 minutes. I mean, I think, I think <laughs> like a bunch of them just go to like just over 3 minutes long, but it's a really tight record. Yeah. It's hard to, in terms of maybe what I didn't like, some of the stuff sort of bleeds together for me, but the songs that have a little bit of a more, I guess, classic ska or even getting into, like, dub sound, like the song Lies, that's where I get really interested. Because it has yeah. more of that slower, almost like soundtrack. The reggae feel. Yeah. And it's, atmos- it's more atmospheric. And I, I won't lie. I've, I've actually, in searching out instrumental music to work to, you know, you, you end up on soundtracks and you end up on various things. And I did discover in the last couple of years Sly and Robbie, who are producers who have worked, you know, they've, they've produced they're in like the guided by voices level of albums that they've been involved with. They do a lot of instrumental dub albums that I probably would not have touched 20 years ago, but now like I, I'm really enjoy listening to it because it's totally off the radar of what I normally would listen to. And as instrumental music, it works really well for, setting a mood and and just kind of not getting focused on lyrics that said 
that song lies reminds me of some of the sly and robbie stuff that i really like and and there's elements of that in uh the last song everything i want to be which again is a little bit slower and i think that stuff's the stuff that works well for me i i think the choruses that you mentioned is of not really delivering i think that's where they don't deliver is on some of the faster tunes where yeah i maybe because this is a, they were a young band and this was only their first record that they just didn't know how to pull it off i mean if you, you go back and listen to the first no doubt record i mean there's like one really hooky song on that record it takes them to the second record to like write all of those hit singles so in terms of uh what i liked some of the slower stuff, I, f- I feel like they're able to uh, deliver on those songs better. And um, but just the overall, I I like that they are compact songwriters. And um, and Monique Pyle has a great voice. I just I don't want to leave that out either. We don't get we don't get to review a lot of bands and as, as many female artists as as probably we like. And um, you know the '90s are chock full of great artists from all different spectrums of music. And uh, so getting a chance to to hear her voice and what she brought to this, what I think is a bit more of a male-dominated genre than a lot of the other ones. Most of the pop-punk bands I think of are, are not female-fronted. In fact, No Doubt and Save First are the only two I can think of. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are other ones out there. But uh, Yeah, I agree on the slower stuff, too. And I think part of that is it gives space. You know, I mean, Scott's busy, too. There's a lot of like right. staccato rhythms going on and syncopation and it, it, it's it's can be busy and distracting so it's uh, not a lot of room for a vocal to really um stand out so she does a good job even on the fast songs doing that um establishing herself and her voice but then on the slow songs i think really things get out of the way and you can get drawn into um just the tone of her voice and how she delivers melodies um there's a couple parts on the record where there's a male vocal. My reaction was, get this guy out of here. Like, yeah. What is he doing? Like, he just sounds like a lightweight. You know, he just doesn't have the strength in his voice or the character. You're just like, why even bother? Just, I mean, they do some harmonies that are that are fine, and they double some parts that are fine. But there's some straight up solos that that he has, or some exchanges, and you're just like, get that guy out of here. Like, take turn the mic down. Um, not not necessary at all. I, I think the the record also takes some turns. It feels like there's some very stereotypical ska, you know, pop, uh, pop stuff on here. Like, and then there's the slower tunes that you mentioned, and then there's a couple of left turns that are. Um, there's a song that has kind of a rockabilly, a Super Spy Three has kind of a rockabilly feel. what that is i guess it's kind of a novelty song oh yeah that song yeah it is a stick out uh stinker 
Yeah. This pretty bad lyrics. Pretty funny Bruce Jenner reference now in hindsight, but uh Yes. <laughs> other than that, it's a it's a skip. Like it's cringe Heard it once, got the got you know, got the attempted at, I don't know, humor and moving on. But they do some, you know, pivots here and there, trying some different shades of genres and stuff and not don't think it works as well as when they either just stay straight up, write a good song. If you want to present it in sort of a ska format, fine, but I, I get it. And then the slower stuff works. I was a little thrown by the, um, the introduction of the, the fuzzy guitar. It disappears for like long spans of the record. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden it comes out of nowhere for come on Eileen. And then you hear it a couple more times throughout the record to either beef up a chorus or just deliver a lead or, you know, a particular part. I thought that was kind of, I didn't know what to, I, I liked it when I heard it, but it seemed like out of left field. Yeah. It's definitely a weird, uh, I noticed that too, because it's so pronounced when it shows up. Yeah. That I guess that's why they pivoted for the next record to be just sort of straight, straight up pop punk, because it's hard to integrate, because when you're doing that ska upstroke, on the guitar to get that, mm-hmm. jint, 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 you know, that like you have to, you got to do that with clean. If you do that with electric, it'll sound like a mess. Yep. So in order to pivot from in that clean into that heavy part, it's just so dramatic yep. that there's no way to like do it. There's no way to finesse it. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Well, they even mix it um, different than the clean, like the clean guitars are kind of center mixed. Yeah, and then when that fuzz guitar comes in, it's like a hard pan to your left. I was listening to headphones a lot, and it's like hard panned in your left ear and really separated. It, it's odd for for either the guitar leads or the fuzzy guitar parts. Um, it, it's like not only is a dramatic tonal shift, but it's also like at a different place in the mix that nothing else really is. So it uh, it's noticeable. <laughs> what do you think of the cover? I think they come do on, a, an okay job with it. And I understand why they would do that. Uh, you know, bands in the '90s got radio play by doing yeah. covers. You know, with the Black Crows, with Hard to Handle, and Orgy doing Blue Monday, and yeah. uh, came a pretty cheap, cheap, easy way to get a radio hit. Yeah, you know, I, I it doesn't to me like make the record weird, but it's um, yeah, it kind of feels like. Oh, you're taking advantage of a song that everybody knows and turning it into like this isn't Natalie and Bruglia doing "Torn," which nobody knew that was a cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, "Come On Eileen's a pretty well-known song, and at that yeah. point, it's only like it's 1996 or excuse me, 1997. So, I think that sound came out in like '83 or '84. So, we're talking like it's only like 12 or 13 years old yeah. at that point. So. A mm, little bit odd, but I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, I think the in this case the the horns are well used because that song is so uh, odd. I mean, it's a great yeah. song, but it's so like I don't even know what genre do you even call that song? The original, <laughs> like pop. I guess it's just pop music, like because it's not traditional rock music in any way. But oh it's yeah, yeah. Really super hooky and a great tune. So I think they used the. Actually, the horns are pretty useful in that song, making pulling off all the different parts and instruments that are in it and making it all work, um, the counter melodies and, and everything. So 
I thought they did a good job. Um, yeah. In general, with you, in in terms of, uh, it's a little bit of a cliche at this point with the amount of sort of nostalgic '80s songs that were covered, and you know, to try to get quick hits. But um, I heard I've heard worse. Um, thought they did it justice. Got to say, with most covers, though, it makes me want makes me want to go listen to the original more than than the cover version. Right. Um, but um, you know, it, it was respectable. I think I think in terms of if they're going to pick a song to cover from I guess that era if that's what they wanted to do that that that's a a solid one to do cuz they definitely reinterpreted it enough that they made it their own. Yeah. Cuz if you go back and listen to the original it's you know it's a it's a slower tempo and yeah and some and sometimes like um you almost get a you get a sense that the bands are almost making fun or being ironic. Mm-hmm. And I don't get that sense with this it seems pretty pretty genuine right um but i felt like some of those 80s covers there's a bit of a inside joke or something going on like they're not taking it seriously which really rubs me the wrong way i don't i just don't i don't get that so i i I felt like they they respected it and tried to do their best with it and and reinterpret it so i gotta say i was a little worried that i was gonna get that we were gonna get the um the really obnoxious piccolo snare uh yeah. this whole record but yeah. it, it's it's fairly tame i mean this is yeah. not 311 when it comes to that's like the worst <laughs> offender when it comes to uh when i can think of that that terrible snare sound from the 90s yeah i don't know if i could have made it through this record if that was the case you know, overall the production is pretty good it's well separated you can hear all it sounds live you know yeah it sounds like a performance I think they capture pretty good energy. It holds up pretty well. I don't think it sounds, other than the, the obvious ska style, I don't think it's dated in any way. Right. Uh, beyond that, at least from a production standpoint. And yes, thankfully that it was a normal, normal-ish sounding snare drum. Maybe I just don't like trombone. That might be it. Because there's a part on here, uh, there's a moment in here where there's a, like a sax sax line that had a kind of a Billy Joel feel, and I didn't mind that, but. I think it's the trumpets and the trombones. It's like oh, blaring in your face. I just hate that. Go away. Yeah, you're just you just don't like the trombone. That's the problem. What can I say, man? I just I'm not into trombone. <laughs> I'll insert a sad trombone sound right there. Just to <laughs> accentuate, accentuate your point. I mean, if you love trombone, feel free to leave a comment. There you go. The Trombone Society of America is going to be uh, all up in you. Um, we don't really need to talk about. I mean, this was a fairly successful release, and the Come On Eileen did well on on radio, and the band did okay for themselves for that period. So there's no like, uh, why didn't this do better? Because you know, it did okay. It, well, in hindsight, it felt um, it felt very. I guess we didn't touch on this. It felt very similar. I don't want to say derivative, but similar to No Doubt. Like, yeah, like this band existed because no doubt existed. Right. And they're from the same area. Yeah. So there's a little bit of, yeah, you could, you could level that charge that there's, uh, some similarities that are pretty glaring between the bands. But I mean, that's the trouble with a, like a a very genre specific sound is that there's only so much you can, you can do with it. Yep. You know, so when you got to when you got to upstroke 
on the sixteenth notes <laughs> uh, to get that guitar sound. There's not much more you can do. You're At some much, point, you, some as you evolve, you got to lay off the horn section. Right, exactly. They got to get laid off. Yeah. Overall, Jay, were the album better EP or decent single? Um, I'm in an EP. I have. Let me. I'll, I'll tally it for you. The world is new. Nobody but me. Come on, Eileen. Lies, little differences, and under 21. six songs and it's so i mean like you mentioned it's so compact and um i mean there's no there's no fat here to trim um yeah. it's really a matter of i think how interested you are in in in, in uh the the genre so for me not really to be not even interested but I'll sort of <laughs> repelled by it to like six of the songs i think says something yeah and i'm actually willing to give this a worthy album um I'd be at like nine. I think there's spam I would like to get rid of, definitely. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think under 21 could use a rewrite. Or eight to nine songs I I think is a worthy album for this. And to I think the highest praise would be, you know, there's I no way I would have listened to this in the 90s. So the fact that I even flipped to that, but it actually kind of makes me regret that I didn't give this at least a shot live because i would imagine that this would be fun to go to live when i'm in my 20s in in your late teens in college Mm -hmm. um so you know i i would now look back at that and go i kind of regret that even if it was just even if i didn't like it but i would have given it a shot uh whereas back then i was far more opinionated and was like oh this is terrible i'm not going to going to that show I guess I've come around, Jay. I've softened yeah. in my old age. Lighten up. Yeah. Lighten up, Francis. Well, that's the advice I would give to uh, to all the young anti-Scotters out there. To uh, just just wait. You'll come around eventually. Like me and Jay. And eventually Jay might like the trombone. Maybe when he's <laughs> Hey, calm down. Calm down. Okay. I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves. I'm um, getting a little too old for trombone love. <laughs> uh trombone shorty is on the phone and he's he's not happy with you screw that guy <laughs> nice uh we need to thank our patreon folks who voted for this if you would like to vote in the next poll and also become eligible for our third quarter contest which is coming up shortly you need to do so by joining us at patreon.com forward slash dig me out there's only two spots left at the 250 level, but you can join us at the $1 level and you still get the same voting rights. So there you go. Same rights, different price. Same access, too. You just don't get the review after 12 months. But there's other ways to do that. And then, of course, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a positive feedback over at iTunes. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out 
and become a monthly subscriber or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. <laughs>